The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're now going to turn to God's Word. So pick up a Bible, and we are coming to the end of a fantastic series in the book of Daniel, and we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 10 on page 896, page 896, uh, Louise is going to read chapter 10, and then uh, it'll be over to Simon, who's going to preach. This is quite long, it turns out, so I probably should have read this before, but anyway... Daniel's vision of a man. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz round his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of, of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision, Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. 
No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Thank you so, so much. Um, I've got a little handout to go around. If I could give that to Ed, that would be brilliant. Thank you. Um, just so you know, we're covering the last three chapters of Daniel this morning, which you might think is crazy, given how much there is in these visionary chapters of Daniel. But actually, these last three chapters are one vision. So there's a good reason to cover them all together. Previously, there was sort of one vision per chapter in chapter 7, 8, 9. Um, this is a long one, but in case you're worried, you're still going to be here at 3 p.m., especially given the record of the last couple of weeks. Uh, um, I've worked hard to not get bogged down this morning. Um, maybe I'll just try to speak incredibly quickly. <laughs> try that. Um, but no, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time in chapter 10, and then I give you a, a sort of overview of what then happens in 11 and 12. So let's get straight to it. Let me uh, pray for us and ask for God's help as we look at this passage together. God, our Father, we thank you for the riches of this extraordinary book in the Bible. Thank you for all of your acts in history that it records. Thank you for all of the prophetic words that you gave to Daniel that uh, have been so enlightening for us. And Lord, as we uh, look at this last section, uh, would this vision take its rightful place in our hearts and in our thinking that we might trust you more and live for you more? In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Daniel's final vision. And by now he's um, in his 80s, as we've said, uh, for a couple of weeks now, after a whole lifetime serving God far away from home, uh, deported, exiled uh, uh, as an Israelite into Babylon, uh, serving the kings of Babylon and then Persia. And uh, for Daniel himself, the whole book sort of ends with a, with a sort of lovely blessing and sending him away. The last verse of chapter 12, Daniel is told, As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Which I think must have been a great reassurance for Daniel. Um, he'd been through these visions. Uh, as we've seen, he's been quite confused and shaken up by them. Some of them are a lot clearer to us because we live after a lot of the things that they foretold. Um, so Daniel struggled to understand what he'd received. Um, but even if he is finding it hard to find his way through these things that have been revealed to him, he can go away with this wonderful sense of peace about his eternal destiny. He will rest and then he will rise. That is something that we can share with Daniel. Uh, whatever we make of Daniel's visions, whatever we understand or don't understand of his visions, even of God's workings in our world today, the twists and turns of history, why God allows some things that seem terrible to us, why God does what he does and organizes things as he does. In the end, we struggle to understand these things, but we can know that we can trust him. Ultimately, that, that is where these chapters go. At the end of our days, if we trust in God, then we will rise to receive our inheritance. It's okay to have all sorts of unknowns, questions that we don't have necessarily answers to. It's okay to be confused on some points of biblical interpretation. The big picture is we can trust Jesus who has died for us, who has risen for us. And after we die, 
will rest and they will rise. Hold on to that alongside anything else we might discover in this vision. So, <coughs> excuse me, let's dig into the details. Uh, the shape of this last vision, Daniel receives a, a revelation about a great war in verse 1. He responds to that in verse 2 and 3 by mourning and praying for three weeks. Uh, it talks about him fasting from sort of posh food and drink. Also, he seems to fast from shampoo, shower gel, moisturizing cream, that kind of thing as well. Um, I don't know if that's something we should emulate or not. Um, then... We'll spend a lot of time in this bit. Um, From 10 verse 4 onwards, a heavenly man prepares Daniel for an explanation of the things that he's received. And then, finally, uh, sort of most of chapters 11 and 12 are the the detailed explanation of the vision. So let's walk through these chapters. We'll spend the longest time in chapter 10. And I've summarized chapter 10 by saying we see invisible realities to equip us for the visible world. That was what chapter 10 gives Daniel, and I think it's what it gives us as well. Daniel's already had this revelation in verse 1 about a great war. We don't know the details until later on. Um, He's prayed for three weeks about it, and then suddenly he has this overwhelming encounter in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris... I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Who is this? Someone so great and terrifying that the other people with Daniel just ran away. Daniel's seen a lot of angels in his visions up to this point, but none of them have been described like this. Some commentators think that this is just a a sort of particularly impressive angel. I think there's more to this figure than that. There's three important connections with other parts of the Bible that um, I'd like to mention. First, there seems to be an echo of a vision in Ezekiel chapter 1, where Ezekiel is by a river and sees a vision a little bit like this one, but Ezekiel's vision, he says, was of God himself. Another connection to make, second one, is remember when the apostles saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain and his face shone like the sun and his clothes were dazzling white. But the most clear connection, I think, has got to be these words from Revelation chapter 1. And we can see these on the the screen. Revelation 1 says, I saw someone like a son of man. Familiar words from Daniel 7. Daniel's already seen a vision of Jesus, the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
I think it's unmistakably the same figure. The descriptions are almost the same. Remember, we're in sort of vision world, so it doesn't matter that there are sort of minor details. John tells us actually in Revelation exactly who this is. In Revelation 1.17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That sounds familiar. That's what Daniel did. Fell at this figure's feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Exactly what the figure that Daniel met said to him. And now listen to this last bit. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. So this is the one who is God and was dead and is now alive. I I don't think there's any mistaking it. This is Jesus Christ himself that Daniel is meeting by the river. The awesome, overwhelming figure who showed himself to Daniel. None other than Jesus Christ. Or, to be technically correct, Christ before being born and given the name Jesus. Um, I'll say Jesus Christ through the rest of the sermon because that's how we know him. Um, But this is is the Son of God. A pre-incarnate vision of the Son of God. So, that immediately opens up the question, is this your Jesus? Is this our Jesus? When you think of Jesus, how do you imagine him? A sort of um, ordinary looking dusty figure wandering around the Middle East in in sort of drab clothes. He, He was that. A little baby born to Mary and Joseph at Bethlehem. That's how we'll think of him a lot in these next couple of weeks. He was that. When we meet Jesus face to face at the end of time, he still will be a human being. Remember, these are apocalyptic visions. He's not necessarily going to look physically the way Daniel encountered him in this vision, but it conveys truth about Jesus in symbolic and pictorial ways. I don't think it's necessarily saying Jesus now looks exactly like this, but imagine being Daniel being those disciples that encountered the transfigured Jesus on the mountaintop. Imagine it. You can hardly look at him. Face like the sun or like lightning. Eyes like flaming torches. He's extraordinary. He's amazingly supernatural. The the hidden, unseen reality about Jesus, that although he was and is and will always be now a human being, He is also God. God in the flesh. God now having become man. God who made the universe um, with infinite power and eternal uh, uh, enthroned majesty. When we meet him, even if he just looks like us because he's become a human being, we will be aware that he is also those majestic things. It will be wonderful. It will be overwhelming. As I say, Daniel had seen this son of man before in his vision in chapter 7. But do you remember, um, the son of man was seated far, far away, far above him. And he saw the son of man um, approaching the throne and receiving worship from every nation. But suddenly here, the son of man is close up, right on earth with Daniel. Overwhelming in his glory also wonderful in his compassion. 
So this overwhelming figure that everyone else has run away from. In verse 9 and 10, Daniel's face down, he's breathless, he's unable to move. But then look at what happens in verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, or you could translate that, deeply loved or greatly valued. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up trembling. The one on the throne, Jesus, our Lord, is full of majesty and full of wonderful compassion for our weakness, for our sin. Come to him and he will lift you up. You don't need to fear him if you come to him. He will lift you up and restore you and heal you and forgive you. So why is it that Christ has appeared in this way to Daniel hundreds of years before he came and became a man permanently? Why not just deliver the sort of message of chapters 11 and 12 without this appearance in chapter 10? Well, um, the message was going to be about a, a troubling future, a great war, as verse 1 said, that would be difficult, that would go on for centuries. And in the midst of that, God's people would suffer and would often wonder, where is God in this? Where is he? Is he doing anything? Has he abandoned us? Is he really there at all? And for them and for us, as we watch sometimes awful events of history unfolding, the world often looks out of control, doesn't it? God looks absent sometimes, doesn't he? Some of us have watched the news these past few months and really felt that way. But God is not absent. That is why this vision of Jesus is so important. In normal life, we can't see him, certainly not in the way that uh, Daniel did, let alone see that he is like this. Um, but he is. There is a, a much deeper reality than what we can detect with our eyes and with our ears. We just see the surface of things. We just see the, the battle of nations and the rise and fall of rulers. Um, we, we have our cameras and our scientific experiments. We can just see what's on the surface. But when life gets difficult for the world, for Christians, for individual uh, people, for the whole church as well, we need this vision of Jesus to help us understand that God is with us in power. Jesus, by his spirit today, with the church, is with us. Um, think of a, a small child being carried through a scary situation. I remember when one of our kids was at probably their, one of their earliest firework displays. And uh, when the fireworks started going off, um, suddenly they were absolutely terrified and screamed and screamed and screamed. And uh, I won't name the child because I got in trouble for it last week. Uh, but um, the... Uh, this particular child of ours, um, later told me that they were, <laughs> um, uh, that they thought that it was going to hit them in the face, that these fireworks were going to just hit them. And uh, there's not much you can do to pacify a screaming toddler um, uh, by words. There's only so much explaining you can do in a, in a panic like that. But what you can do is hug them and surround them and make them feel safe and say, I'm here, 
It's okay. It's going to be all right. That is what they need to know. And whatever is going on in our lives, whatever's going on in our world at the moment, I think hear these words effectively from Jesus. I'm here. Don't worry. And I'm more able to look after you than you can possibly imagine. I'm God. I'm man. I have all the power of the universe and beyond. And we can respond and say, thank you, Jesus. It is scary. And there are a lot of things I don't understand. But I trust you. And if you're here, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Now look, moving on to the second heading. As well as this hidden majesty of Jesus, we also see the hidden mystery, I've called it, of spiritual war in verse 12 onwards, which starts to take us into quite unfamiliar territory. Um, We see in verse 13 that there was a prince of the Persian kingdom who resisted Christ, it seems, for 21 days. Then we see Michael, one of the chief princes. Now, this is where we should all cheer. Michael, Saint Michael. This is our guy. Otherwise known as the Archangel Michael. We see him here and in the book of Jude and in the book of Revelation. Um, He seems to be an important and powerful angel and protector of God's people. And then in verse 20, there's also a prince of Greece who will come after the prince of Persia. What is going on here? These seem to be spiritual beings. Certainly we know Michael is an archangel from the rest of the, the, rest of the Bible. Um, rather than human princes, they seem to be engaged in some sort of battle with each other alongside the visible events of human history. Now the Bible is really clear all the way through that there are uh, hidden unseen realities. There is a spiritual realm with spiritual beings, both good and evil, angels and demons, who, are, who exist and are at work in the world. Um, so what more can we say about Michael and these princes, spiritual princes, it seems, of Persia and Greece? And we need to be honest, there's not a lot that we can say, really. Which I think is an important thing to recognize. The curtain is pulled back here and just a tiny glimpse given of stuff that's going on beyond the, behind the scenes. But we're really not told very much about it. Um, that is important. You, we, we can, you, if, if you want, you can go out and buy books and listen to talks that have incredibly elaborate um, theologies of things like territorial spirits, the idea that every country or every city, every town has a being in the spiritual realm attached to it. And these books often are full of instructions about how you should identify the spirit and engage with it and discover its name and discover its character and maybe do battle with it. And I want us to notice that Daniel is not told to do any of those things. Daniel doesn't seem to be told to take any action in regard to what he's being told here about these spiritual beings. He's not told to talk to them. He's not told to engage with them in any way. And the chapter just opens the curtain a little bit to show us that there are are extraordinary behind-the-scenes spiritual battles going on at the same time as uh, the history that we can see in the world. 
So what should we conclude from this? Certainly that such beings exist. They existed then, presumably still do today. It's not hard to imagine that there might be malevolent, deceitful spiritual forces at work in this world. Sometimes you look at the news and there's just such evil and and such a level of implacable hate and deceit. It's it's not beyond imagination to, to think there might be some sort of spiritual force behind this. And sometimes there's um, extraordinary good and amazing corners turned and uh, hearts changed extraordinarily. It doesn't seem ridiculous to think there's spiritual forces behind that as well. Uh, The hateful terrorism of Hamas, the brutal empire building of Putin. We know that Satan still wants to tempt all of us in all kinds of ways. Um, C.S. Lewis, who was wise on many things, was wise on this, suggesting that our two opposite dangers when it comes to the spiritual forces named in the Bible is either to obsess over them really unhealthily in a way that the Bible doesn't suggest, or to ignore them and just be naive and think that spiritual um, beings and evil don't exist. So we mustn't ignore them. We mustn't obsess over them. But I think, like Daniel, a couple of things, like Daniel, be humbled. Be humbled because there are things going on behind the scenes that we know almost nothing about, except the glimpses that God chooses to give us. So we can trust God for the things that we do know, and we can trust God about the things that we don't know. Be be humble. There's a lot more to reality than we can perceive. And God's in charge of all of it, including all the unseen stuff. So be humbled. Be strengthened. Um, That seems to be the main message here for Daniel. With, With really hard times ahead, Daniel needed to know that Jesus Christ, our majestic and incomparable God, who has become man for us, stands behind all history and is at work behind the scenes. Um, I think actually from reading on this, there's a couple of unfortunate over-translations in verse 13, because it sounds in verse 13 as if Jesus was resisted and um, detained by the Prince of Persia in a way that makes it sound as if Jesus didn't have enough power to um, overcome the Prince of Persia. Um, Actually, a very literal translation of of those words would not be resisted, but uh, stood before me. And it would not be uh, uh, detained, but just, I was there. So I don't think we need to to read into these verses that uh, anyone can successfully oppose Jesus unless he allows it for a time. So if this is our God, if Jesus is our God, this great vision of light, who could stand against us? Whatever spiritual forces there are, they are no match for him as we, we might encounter during Christmas season uh, in John's Gospel. The light has come into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So be humble, be strengthened, and be prayerful. Daniel just constantly turns to prayer in these chapters. When we see this hint of spiritual realities behind the scenes, that makes even more sense to pray. We are totally dependent on the Lord. He and he alone Uh, is able to overcome things like this. 
So, fear not, that was the majority of the sermon. Now, uh, with the time we have left, uh, left, let's just do an overview of chapters 11 and 12, because uh, this is where we get an explanation of uh, Daniel's vision of a war, where we get all the details, and there are a lot of details, and it covers a similar bit of history as to uh, what chapters 7 and 8 and 9 have covered. Um, if you look at the end of chapter 10, uh, this, uh, this glorious person, Christ, says to Daniel in verse 20, do you know why I have come to you? And uh, uh, Christ is clearly in the midst of the spiritual battle involving Persia and Greece, but he says in verse 21, First, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And then when you step into chapter 11, verse 2 says, Now then, I tell you the truth. And what follows is an incredibly detailed prophecy spanning many generations. It is so detailed that, um, and it matches history so perfectly, that skeptical scholars have very often just responded by saying there is... No way that this could have been written beforehand. That's what many sceptical writers have said about this. It must have been written afterwards with the hindsight of history. But what does that view assume? If you say there is no way this could have been written down before the events, that assumes there is no God and therefore prophecy is impossible. But if you believe in God, and we believe in God for other reasons, chapter 11 is not here to persuade us that God exists, but we believe in God primarily because we've met him in Jesus Christ, who walked the earth as God himself and fulfilled hundreds of prophecies when he came, then of course prophecy is possible. We don't need to have that sort of default uh, 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 skepticism about it. Then of course prophecy is possible. Of course chapter 11 is possible. And amazing. And it would take so long to go through the events in chapter 11 that what I have done is another little historical handout for those who are interested. And I'm going to put that down here for anyone to come and pick up. Uh, It it matches all that we know of the history and archaeology of that era. So do grab it. That, That is the main thing that handout does. It doesn't really say anything other than here are the things described in Daniel 11. Here are the historical events that amazingly match over generations. As I said, it covers a similar period to the other visions of Daniel. So in verse 2, you get four kings of Persia. Hopefully we can see the Persian Empire on the screen. And remember, there's a spiritual force behind that, so I've added something. Um, uh, Then verse 3, you get the sudden taker of Alexander the Great with his Greek empire. So we can see that slide. Spiritual force behind that as well. Then in verse 4, the division of Alexander's empire into four parts after he died. So we can see that. Um, From then on, chapter 11 suddenly slows down and goes excruciatingly slowly. And it focuses on two bits of the Greek empire, north and south. We can zoom in, hopefully. Um, To the north, you get a bunch of kings of that orange bit, the Seleucid Empire. And to the south, you get a bunch of kings um, in the the sort of brownie bit, the Ptolemaic Empire in Egypt. Um, They fought each other for generations. And as we saw a week or two ago, Israel was right there in the middle. So they were stuck, and there was constant battle uh, on that sort of Israelite territory for generations. 
Um, so have a look at that handout if you like. But the, a quick summary that I've put on the back of your main handout of chapter 11. Verses 2 to 20 describe a long, frustrating time of chaotic politics. So you've got kings of the north endlessly battling kings of the south with no particular malice towards the Israelites, just the usual motivations of people in, 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 in um, uh, uh, sort of malevolent rule. So they're after power and money and sex and wanting more land. And if you'd lived through that time, it would have just felt random and chaotic and totally futile. These battles, nothing to do with Israel, but just trashing their land over and over again. History often feels like that, just sort of flip-flopping between different things. You know, UK politics flip-flopping for decades between conservatives and labor and back again, over and over and over again. Times like that in history might look mundane and random, maybe tedious, maybe annoying. But God is still on his throne. He's still at work. And Christ, I think, is saying to Daniel through this, this is all in my book of truth. All of these events. So he's saying, write all this down, all of this excruciating detail, so that when it happens, people will, will know to trust me. And then the next uh, section of chapter 11, uh, 21 to 35, I've, I've called it a brief, terrifying time of vicious persecution. This bit then slows right back down again and focuses on one king of the north. We've seen him before in our Daniel series, Antiochus Epiphanes, the little horn of chapters 7 and 8, um, who tried to invade the south, failed in his bitter anger, became a, a vicious persecutor of the Israelites, killing tens of thousands, desecrating the temple. A horrendous time. Um, you might know uh, the Jewish festival of um, Hanukkah begins later on this week. Did you know that Hanukkah uh, celebrates the, um, the re-consecration, the rededication of the temple after that vicious persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes? And uh, Hanukkah is a, a celebration of lights where lamps were lit again in the temple after the years of darkness, the, the, the lamps symbolizing God's presence uh, where there'd been no light for years. So, you know, imagine those terrible years of desecration and death and darkness in the temple it must have felt in that time as people were dying and there was darkness and there was no apparently no presence of God it must have felt as if God had truly abandoned them what will get God's people through times like that well Christ was saying to Daniel here even all of this is in my book of truth Write all of this down too, so that when it happens, people will trust me. And so whatever it is that fills us with horror, as you watch the news, or, or as you experience things in your own life, um, whatever it is, Jesus is still reigning. He's still worthy of our trust, even in the worst times. Very last bit of chapter 11, verse 36 to 45, I've called a, a repeating pattern of events leading up to the end. Um, this is a really tricky bit um, because there seem to be three options. Some people seem to think this is still talking about Antiochus. Other people say um, uh, it's talking about end times far in the future before Jesus returns. Um, it does talk about the time of the end, but remember Daniel often uses that phrase um, to speak about the end of a season of persecution. Others, and I think this maybe fits the best, 
um, say that this is about Roman rulers. So the kings of the north here um, are now Roman rulers. And that, that they're going to do something similar to Antiochus. And we know that did happen in AD 70. The temple was invaded again, desecrated, and this time destroyed by the Romans under Vespasian and Titus. But if that's true, that means there's now a sort of repeating pattern. And maybe, and I think the New Testament would would say this, um, we should expect more of that. Uh, Times of chaotic, random history, interspersed by occasional vicious persecution until Christ's return. And maybe there will be a, a climactic one at the very end. During this series, we haven't really talked much about sort of end time uh, conversations, whether there's an antichrist to come, those kinds of things. And I haven't because I don't think Daniel itself is about that. But I think if you read some parts of the New Testament and the way Jesus talks about Daniel and the way Revelation talks about Daniel, um, it takes Daniel's prophecies and then points forward again. So that's something we're not going to talk about, but uh, just to explain why we haven't and uh, why you might want to look into that another time. So a sort of repeating pattern of times of persecution leading up to the very, very end. Um, In all those details in in chapter 11, there's only really two applications. In verse 32, know your God. And in verse 33, be wise. Because in verse 35, you'll be refined and purified and made spotless. In other words, whatever kind of history we are in and living through, whether it's relatively mundane or whether it's a, a dreadful time, keep trusting Jesus. Know your God. Be wise, and he will bring you through it, uh, refined, made his. Let's finish with almost no words at all about chapter 12. Chapter 12 um, points us beyond all of this to deliverance and to eternal life. Um, In verse 1 of chapter 12, Michael reappears. Let's have a cheer for Michael, shall we? Hey! Um, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Um, But at that time, there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Now, Jesus quotes that about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Um, So I think perhaps this is primarily about that. Um, It's not necessarily about how, how bad the war was, but how... Definitive, excuse me, how definitive the end of the temple was. No longer would the temple be the place of um, God's presence amongst his people because we can now find God's presence in Jesus, Jesus himself. But at that time, if it is the first century, um, then what you find is deliverance. Um, verse Uh, uh, one again. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And then this, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there, 
to increase knowledge. This is what Jesus' death, his deliverance, will lead to. Whether it's talking about the first century or his return. Either way, it is Jesus' death on the cross that leads to eternal life. Some people say there's no eternal life spoken about in the Old Testament. I really don't know what they're talking about. Have they read this? Um, uh, It's there in lots of places, but especially here. We don't have time to talk about um, the numbers in the chapter, except to say they all add up to roughly three and a half years. And we've seen before that 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 was a sort of description of a time of persecution to be um, born with. And if if you're patient, if you trust, uh, then deliverance will come. Uh, That seems to be the the repeated message of that that time period. So as we finish, (laughs) do come and chat to me if there's more you want to to talk about, and I may or may not have any answers. Um, As we finish, this vision, isn't it extraordinary that Jesus showed himself to Daniel in person, in such glory? Isn't it amazing that Jesus, in his book, had all of that history written down? Isn't it incredible that Jesus points beyond all of that to eternal life and is the one who came to deliver eternal life, to deliver God's people for everlasting life. We can trust Jesus, whatever the complexities of of these visions and how we understand them. We can trust Jesus as his people. And uh, let me invite the the band up because we're going to respond with a song of of worship to Jesus. And as we sing this, have in your mind, yes, the the baby born in Bethlehem. Yes, the man who walked uh, through the Middle East. Yes, the, the one who died on the cross for our sins. Yes, the one who rose from the dead that we might be delivered and have eternal life. Yes, too. The one whose face is like lightning, whose eyes shine like blazing torches, who is the power behind the universe, who is in control of all history, who can be trusted whatever season of history we're going through. He is majestic, he's glorious, and he came into our our world to save us. Let's stand, let's sing. Mm